So my wife and I sit down last night, as a matter of fact, and um, not intending to, but get into hard marriage moments, which lead to a really frank conversation about our way, and particularly how deeply different they are. By confession, what surfaced was the tension of two people that fundamentally operate in different ways, my wife being one who is beautifully present and here in this moment, engaged and empathetic, but it gives little energy to the what's coming down the road. And myself, who spends a lot of energy thinking of the long term with a visionary mindset, with a strategic thinking, but has to work very hard to be in this present moment. In and of themselves, I don't believe either one is bad. Exactly. And there are opportunities for love. But the truth is we both need to mature and we both need to be honest with those different ways have deep impact and implications upon each other and in our family system. Friends, welcome back to the Ransomed Heart Podcast. That was Morgan, John here, Alan Arnold, in part two of a series on our way, a conversation about just kind of that fundamental approach to life that permeates just about everything we do and is really worth looking at. Anyone who wants to take discipleship to Christ seriously needs to get this onto the table. Mm -hmm. And so, Morgan, of all the things in your marriage that have been an open door for warfare, the collision of ways is probably up there in the top three. Oh, it's huge. It's huge because we both can be motivated by love and trying to care and trying to do good things, but it comes across as really being unthoughtful, uncaring, and ultimately you feel like you're not known. Yes. And that person feels like they're not known. Yes. I have a friend who's experienced a great deal of, well, I think what would be called relational collapse in their life. Mm. It's very, very sad. I think some of it would be called relational betrayal, but there's just a, just a really sad, long story of broken relationship in their life. And I didn't understand it from afar and, frankly, blamed them for it until I got to know them and got to know something of their story and realized um, I actually love them very much. But to be around them is a bit of an art because of the brokenness of their story. They have such an entrenched way. And I, I began to discover on their behalf Oh my goodness, everyone is misinterpreting your way. They think you're selfish. They think you're self-centered. They think that you are insensitive when in fact, because of the trauma of your life, you have insulated yourself in such a way that it's simply, your radar is not healthy. Your radar is kind of broken. And I know your heart and your heart is good, but it was only once I got into the story that I could see everyone is misinterpreting this. 
oh, you have a way. <laughs> there is, and it's, it's exasperating. It, it, it is. But it's not mean or evil. It was shaped, it was shaped by things. And I, I think this is where we want to go with this. It's just like our style of relating. Well, one of the real aha moments is, is when you realize your personality was shaped. It's not just God-given or a fate accompli or, you know, inevitable. You're not just an introvert or an extrovert. You're not just a, you know, INTJ or an ENFP or you're not just a golden retriever or an otter. You know, your personality actually is shaped. And a lot of it, frankly, is chosen. It is what brought you love, what brought you security, what brought you reward, brought you safety in the story of your particular life has shaped you. And the glory of the offer of a restoring gospel is Jesus is all about healing those wonderful things in us that got hurt and delivering us Mm. and sanctifying us and shaping us of those things that aren't so good. So we also have a way, not just a style of relating, not just a personality. We have a way of approaching money and time and commitments and all of it, you know, uh, silence and noise and order and chaos and all all that. We have a way. And our way is profoundly Mm. affecting others. And it's worth looking at. And what we want to begin to realize is our way was shaped largely in our childhood. It was shaped largely by both praise and love and reward, and it was shaped by fear and rejection and trauma. And just to be kind mm-hmm. with that, to go, what would it look like to invite Jesus into a conversation mm-hmm. with us about our way? So, for example, different friend has a deprivation mindset. They have a very difficult time spending money, particularly on themselves. Just can't go out and take themselves out to lunch if they need to. Can't go out and buy a new shirt or a new jacket if they need to. Needs a new pair of shoes. He can't do that. Very difficult to receive gifts from other people. Never asks for anything for their birthday or for Christmas. It's just a deprivation mindset. There's, there's scarcity right? And it was shaped by a very sad childhood where their mother had the exact same mindset. It was a scarcity mindset and everything was, no, 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 we can't, you know, and if if something got broken, it was a big deal. We can't afford that. And so they were reprimanded very Mm -hmm. harshly for anything that was lost, stolen, forgotten, and little kids lose stuff. Come on, you know, you leave your backpack at school and and, you know, you forget that you left your skateboard out in the rain and it got warped and it just happens, yeah. right? But severe punishment, scarcity mindset really shaped now a deprivation way, a hoarding, fearful way. Now, the problem is this. Not only is it hard to give this person gifts, and I love him, but he's hard to give gifts to, but it's really hurting his kids now. And I don't think he sees it is that he has brought that same deprivation mindset so deeply formed, tragically formed in his own life. He's now passing it on to the kids. 
And like I said, families have a way. And now that whole family's way is deprivation and scarcity. Mm -hmm. And Alan, you were talking about sleepovers. You know, this, if you go to sleepover at their house in the morning, you know, it's maybe a bowl of cereal or often they just forget to have breakfast. Wow. There's no feasting. There's no banquet, right? There's no pinata, Mm. (laughs) you know? And it's very tragic because it's shaping all those he loves and it can be healed. Mm. There's redemption there for that way if they would be willing to have a look. Yeah, John, I, I feel two pieces by way of response. And one is sorrow and the other is hopefulness, right? And the sorrow is we have to become aware and then grieve the impact of our way. And then the hopefulness of as we are healed, our way can actually be a great force for good as it's sanctified, Mm. as it's restored, because we bring a way that is the impact of the kingdom. And I, I think as you're sharing what's coming to mind for me, one of the pieces that helps me get there is to ask the question, what is what is the unforgivable sin? And I don't mean theologically. I mean practically how I live. By way of example, the highest kind of virtue in my way is responsibility. Mm. And it's higher than love, right? Love equals responsibility. Mm. And so whatever else is happening in a day, if I am responsible, I feel better. And if someone is irresponsible, it blows my gaskets, right? Mm -hmm. And so the hierarchy of virtues, it's intended to be love, make no mistake, but that's the unforgivable. And when I wonder- Irresponsibility. Irresponsibility is the the unforgivable unforgivable sin or virtue, right? And so the idea is, where was that formed? And in my childhood, love equaled responsibility. Like in what way? Um, The message that I received is you are loved when you're responsible. In other words, like just observing my dad and how he worked through the world professionally and watching him in his world, he was deeply responsible and overcame so much adversity through responsibility. And the message was that that'll get you love. You will be loved when. And so the irony is there are, ways of loving people and operating in the kingdom that look like irresponsibility to your point of your friend with the finances to be a bit wasteful or what appears in like their wasteful. mind exactly yes. when it, god would say no those are really good economics in the kingdom yeah. but to that person they say no that is just way too extravagant it's irresponsible yeah so i think it brings up sorrow mm. but it also gives me hope because as we are healed we actually have the ability to bring our personality, but also transcend mm. that mm. thing that, as you said, mm. feels like our only place of safety. But when we know we're perfectly safe in God's mm. kingdom, then we actually have room to move yeah. and room to love. And yeah. What I love about this conversation is we're getting into the why of our ways and the ability whether it's our spouse or whether it's a friend, just to be able sometimes ourselves to pause and say, it seems so normal. It seems so much who I am that it's easy not to even question it, but to go into the why. And we had a couple over a few weeks ago, good friends, and we're just talking on the deck and, and no agenda and had dinner out there. And the man of the couple who was over just made this comment. He just said, you know, if there's ever anybody in need, 
I'm your guy because I'll be the first one there and I'll be the guy who's always ready to help. And if you need to call somebody at 3 a.m., I'm the guy. I'm your guy. And I just paused and said, hey, is it okay if I ask you a follow-up question? Can I, can I push into that a little? And he's like, yeah, go for it. And I said, why do you feel that way? What, what is it in you? What, how would you feel if you weren't the guy who got up at 3 a.m.? Or you weren't the first one there? And we ended up having about an hour and a half conversation that went into the why of how he was, how he responded. And at first he said, that's just who I am. And I said, well, it, it is what you're doing and it is what you're wired to, but why? And it went back to some things in his childhood pretty quick, pretty deep. So what I think is really important about this for us and everybody listening is it's not just to know your way. And it's not even, you know, Morgan, you were talking about how we all have this desire to be known. Like being known is amazing, but an invitation is we get to be transformed. So we do have a way. And how is God shaping us? Yeah, that's, Helen. bingo. Morgan, there's a quote that you like to use from Dallas. Right, that Dallas defines Christianity as the process of more of us belonging to more of God. And so it's just a good picture of pieces and parts of us that have yet to be brought under care and connection. And the hope, Alan, is what you're describing, is over time, there are more and more parts of us that come under and into more and more parts of God. I think it's important to frame it like that, to frame it as transformation, to frame it as more of us belonging to God, because I can feel the threat in some of our listeners, our way was shaped because that was safety. Yes. Mm-hmm. And if you lived in a violent home, for example, you know, and your need for solitude every day or your need not to have a noisy world can feel like life and death to you. And so to begin to suggest maybe that way is not fully yet in the hands mm-hmm. of God can feel threatening. And we don't mean that. Jesus is very gentle. He's very kind. His yoke is easy. His burden is light. But he does invite us towards a life that is more fully possessed of him, including in areas that right now just look like absolute common sense to us or or safety or security. Stace and I had a huge revelation this summer in some time away that Jesus showed us that we're actually too generous. We give too much away. We give too much of our time. We give too much of our resources. And it looks noble, Mm. but he took us back to we're both the youngest. We both grew up in alcoholic homes. And that shapes a child profoundly when you watch your family blow up. And in both of us is this deep thing to fix the world and make sure the world's okay. Because if the world isn't okay, I'm not okay. Mm. It looks good on the outside, this generosity, this giving, this you can have all the time you want, you you know, I'm available, I'll be there at the 3 a.m. guy, you know, all that. And yet Jesus is saying, actually, that was really shaped by fear and your need to secure the world. And it's a difficult thing to begin to look at some of our way and go, ooh, that's actually not as noble as I thought. Mm. And it's not just brokenness. You do have to have the category of sin in there. 
You know, we think that everyone's personality is shaped by a combination of brokenness, yes, and sin. It is our means of self-securing. It's I will be my own savior. I will be Mm -hmm. my own protector. I will be my own securer. I will be my own provider. Right. 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 We live a life in Christ, and yet we give ourselves permission to deviate in very particular ways Mm -hmm. like that. Yeah. Yeah. So it's both, and Mm -hmm. we need to be honest about both, that it was shaped certainly by, you know, you had a super controlling mother. Man, you don't want to be controlled now. Right. And I've got people in my relational world who are like, don't pin me down, Mm. man. Like, back off. And you go, whoa, what's fueling that? And you go, well, it was partly controlling mother, but let's be honest. It's also partly your own sinful commitment to secure your life, quite apart from Jesus Christ. We have to be honest about that, right? Or, Or you really don't make headway in this. You really, you know, we want to invite Christ into it by Christ into all of it. John, can you give an example of, okay, so what do you do with it, right? You become aware, oh, maybe this isn't a fact of nature. This is my way. And then you become aware of my way has an impact. And this idea of more of me belonging to more of God, like how does that play out? In the details. Well, I think the most gracious thing, I'll tell a story, but the most gracious thing about it is our first, our first prayer is always Jesus come into this. Yes. You know, so as you leave the small group and you are upset, you know, you don't even know why yet. Just the first prayer is always Jesus come into this. I don't want to figure this out on my own. And I I sure don't want to try and transform myself on my own kindness, love, mercy, the first step is, Jesus, come into this. What's this? So here's how this came about, this overgiving thing. We found ourselves really exhausted, just exhausted, people exhaustion. And so we were just praying into that. We're like, Jesus, like, where is this people exhaustion coming from? It feels like we live actually a pretty balanced life. We have a lot of personal time and, and we protect our evenings and stuff. So it's like, wait a second, I thought we were living actually, frankly, pretty well. Where's this exhaustion coming from? And he said, it's overgiving. You guys are way too generous. And then that opened up this whole thing of, whoa, where does that come from? And he's like, well, let's go back to your childhood. You were both youngest. You both watched your older siblings blow up, your family blow up, you know, alcoholic homes. And, and so as Christ began to show us those things, the prayer is always, Jesus, come into this. It's, it's not a rush to say, okay, I'm just not going to be like that anymore. Yeah. That's not helpful. One thing that's helped me too, John and Morgan, is trying to identify the rhythm in any particular situation of Jesus. Like, okay, I, don't, I may want to go fast, but fast may not be right and slow may not be right. But the right speed is the rhythm of Jesus in this situation. So just to ask him to pause mm. and say, in mm. what's going on, it, it's pulling away from my way to saying, yeah, I want to follow you. And part of following you is going at your pace. Mm. And so I'm not going to be the guy that always tries to be fast if that's my leaning mm. or slow if that's my leaning or loud or soft or quick or whatever it is. But to say in this situation, God, I want to be your son. 
I want to walk with you at your pace. And I've just found that really helps me because it takes the onus off a wife or a, you know, family member. Right. Alan, what I really appreciate about what you're sharing is there's an open-handedness to your way. It makes me think a lot about Colossians, where so much of this is laid out in Colossians 3. What's shared here is that so much of our way looks like, right there in verse 5, doing whatever we feel like, whenever we feel like it, grabbing whatever attracts our fancy, that the way often is justifying whatever we want, but the life of Christ is an invitation into laying down our way with the possibility of taking up more and more of the kingdom way. And that's where it says, don't shuffle along with eyes on the ground, absorbed with the things right in front of you. Look up and alert to what's going on around Christ. That's where the action is, to see things from his perspective. And what I appreciate is the scripture says in Colossians that Christ who puts us together in one piece, whose very breath and blood flow through us. He is the head of the body. And so as we are being open-handed with our way, we can invite Christ to become our safety, to become our source of love, to become our strength, that we can not receive it as simply a punitive, Mm -hmm. an indictment, right? But instead, we can say our goal is to love, and we are loved, and therefore we can love. We are safe, and so we can risk. You know, I'm thinking also the passage where Jesus said, he who seeks to save his life will lose it. And the Greek there is psyche. He who seeks to save his psyche will lose it. You know, this grasp for security, this grasp for what feels stable to mm-hmm. us, this grasp for equilibrium, this, then it goes on from there, the grasp for joy, the grasp for happiness, the grasp for, you know, some life feels so absolutely natural to us, but it does end up, we end up losing our life. And it does blow up relationships, and it, mm. it provides the collision of ways in friendships, the collision of ways in marriages, the collision of ways in small groups, um, church communities, family systems. Man, it is, it is such ripe territory for the enemy to get in and just wreak havoc with misunderstanding and thievery mm. and blame and tension and stuff that it's really worth looking at this. I want to come back to Ransomed Heart as a restoration culture. We believe in a restoration gospel. We, we believe that salvation is the doorway into a life with God whereby he restores our humanity. And it's a beautiful thing, right? I've come to put you back together as human beings. I, I want to restore everything about you. But because we live in a super therapeutic hour with, you know, Oprah and Dr. Phil and, you know, all, it's, it's very hip and cool to talk therapy-type language now. We, anyone looking to follow the beautiful, beautiful character and life of Jesus also has to deal with sin. And it's not just therapeutic language. It's biblical language. You know, he who seeks to save his life will lose it. 
actually in the end, all those things we do to self-protect, all those things we do to secure, actually end up sabotaging in the end, the very thing we're looking for. And so there's, there's a recognition of, wow, I really did have controlling parents, or holy cow, I, I grew up without any form of security. That shaped you, and that shaped your way, that scarcity shaped your way, or, or just the constant chaos. You know, a very dear friend just was raised in a home of constant chaos. Well, of course that shaped you. That, that shapes a child, and it shapes her way to this day, and she's in her 60s. But at the same time, if we really want transformation, part of it involves looking at brokenness, and part of it involves looking at, and my grasp for security turned into this. Mm-hmm. I became an introvert. Or and my grasp for attention turned into this. I have to be the one that talks for an hour at the meal. I need attention, you know, and, and realize, oh, there's a, there's a grasp in me. I'm reaching for something. And so it's both healing and repentance. It's, oh, Jesus, to the degree that I see this, I repent. And to the degree that I see this, come and heal, come and minister to my soul. It's both. Mm-hmm. And both are so important in a biblical view of human transformation. It's not only therapeutic-type mm-hmm. language. It's, it's good, healthy, deep, repentance-type mm-hmm. language as well, mm-hmm. right? He who loses his life for my sake will find it. In other words, that turn towards Christ that's chosen to say, to the degree that I can right now, I am choosing to turn from my controlling or my messiness or yeah. I'm not going to make coffee when everybody's trying to leave. I'm going to leave when everybody said they were going to mm. leave. I mean, that's new for me, right. and I'm going to choose that, which is my repentance. And I'm also asking you in Jesus, show me the deeper places that this was shaped in me. Yes. And I think what you're naming it at the end there, John, this is a self-reflective podcast. In other words, if you're listening to this, look at your ways. This isn't, now I know why my spouse does this because (laughs) of her or his brokenness from childhood. So I'm going to go after that so they'll get better and see it my way. It's not that. This is really an invitation for you, for each of us around the table, to look at our own way and to go for healing and go for more freedom and restoration. But I just wanted to bring that up because Mm -hmm. if you're hearing this and thinking about your best friend's brokenness or why they're stuck in a certain way, turn it back toward you Mm. and let them turn it toward themselves. Yeah. So we changed the daily prayer years ago. That One of the early iterations of the daily prayers uh, had this passage that said, search me, know me, reveal to me every aspect of my life that is not pleasing to you. And grant to me the gift of your healing and repentance. And that's, that's just too much. That's just, Jesus never works like that. He doesn't show you everything. Um, the current version goes something more like this. Search me, know me, and reveal where you are working in my life. And grant to me the gift of your healing, deliverance, and a deep and true repentance. We want healing. We want deliverance. 
We want deep and true repentance, but only where Christ is working right now. So as you walk away from this podcast and from this two-part conversation, Jesus, where are you working? John, it's so hopeful because as we engage that, it moves us then from that place of healing to the other part of the daily prayer. God, you are the hero of the story, Mm. and I belong to you. Mm. Right? This is not about me, God. This is about you. That it's Mm. through his care for the Mm. wholehearted healing of our person that we can get to the place where we're actually, thank God, not the center of the story. Mm -hmm. Our soul is designed with a need for God, Mm. and more of him is being made available, and that's our hope. More of me belonging to more of you. I love that.